0: Story number fourteen of Lucy Maud Montgomery's short stories, eighteen ninety six to nineteen o one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Annalisa Ott, Lucy Maud Montgomery short stories, eighteen ninety six to nineteen o one, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. The Red Room. You would have me tell you the story, grandchild? 'Tis a sad one, and best forgotten. If you remember it now, there are always sad and dark stories in old families such as ours. Yet I have promised and must keep my word, so sit down here at my feet and rest your bright head on my lap, that I may not see in your young eyes the shadows my story will bring across their bonny blue. I was a mere child when it all happened, yet I remember it but too well, and I can recall how pleased I was when my father's stepmother, Mrs. Montresor, she not liking to be called grandmother, seeing she was but turned of fifty and a handsome woman still wrote to my mother that she must send little Beatrice up to the Montresor place for the Christmas holidays. So I went joyfully, though my mother grieved to part with me. She had little to love save me, my father, Conrad Montresor, having been lost at sea, when but three months wed. My aunts were wont to tell me how much I resembled him, being so, they said, a Montresor to the backbone, and this I took to mean commendation, for the Montresors were a well-descended and well-thought-of family, and the women were noted for their beauty. This I could well believe, since of all my aunts there was not one but was counted a pretty woman. Therefore I took heart of grace when I thought of my dark face and spindling shape, hoping that when I should be grown up I might be counted not unworthy of my race. The place was an old-fashioned mysterious house, such as I delighted in, and Mrs. Montresor was ever kind to me, albeit a little stern, for she was a proud woman and cared but little for children, having none of her own. But there were books there to pore over without latter hindrance, for nobody questioned of my whereabouts if I but kept out of the way, and strange dim family portraits on the walls to gaze upon, until I knew each proud old face well, and had visioned a history for it in my own mind, for I was given to dreaming, and was older and wiser than my years, having no childish companions to keep me still a child. There were always some of my aunts at the place to kiss and make much of me for my father's sake, for he had been their favorite brother my aunts there were eight of them had all married well so said people who knew and lived not far away coming home often to take tea with mrs montresor who had always gotten on well with her step-daughters or to help prepare for some festivity or other for they were notable housekeepers every one they were all at the Montresor place for Christmas, and I got more petting than I deserved, albeit they looked after me somewhat more strictly than did Mrs. Montresor, and saw to it that I did not read too many fairy tales or sit up later at night than became of my years. But it was not for fairy tales and sugar plums, nor yet for petting, that I rejoiced to be at the place at the time. Though I spoke not of it to any one, I had a great longing to see my Uncle Hugh's wife, concerning whom I had heard much, both good and bad my uncle hugh albeit the oldest of the family had never married until now and all the countryside rang with talk of his young wife i did not hear as much as i wished for the gossips took heed to my presence when i drew a near and turned to other matters yet being somewhat keener of comprehension than they knew i heard and understood not little of their talk and so i came to know that neither proud mrs montresor nor my good aunts nor even my gentle mother looked with overmuch favour on what my uncle hugh had done and I did hear that Mrs. Montresor had chosen a wife for her stepson, of good family and of some beauty, and that my uncle would have none of her, a thing Mrs. Montresor found hard to pardon, yet might so have done had not my uncle, on his last voyage to the Indies, for he went often in his own vessels, married and brought home a foreign bride, of whom no one knew aught, save that her beauty was a thing to dazzle the day, and that she was of some strange alien blood, such as ran not in the blue veins of the Montresors. Some had much to say of her pride and insolence, and wondered if Mrs. Montresor would tamely yield her mistress-ship to the stranger, but others, who were taken with her loveliness and grace, said that the tales told were born of envy and malice, and that Alicia Montresor was well worthy of her name and station. So I halted between two opinions, and thought to judge for myself, but when I went to the place, my uncle Hugh and his bride were gone for a time, and I had even to swallow my disappointment, and bid their return with all my small patience." but my aunts and their stepmother talked much of alicia and they spoke slightingly of her saying that she was but a light woman and that no good would come of my uncle Hugh's having wed her with other things of a like nature also they spoke of the company she gathered around her thinking her to have strange and unbecoming companions for a montresor and all this i pondered much over although my good aunt supposed that such a chit as i would take no heed to their whisperings when i was not with them helping to whip eggs and stone raisins and being watched to see that i ate not more than one out of five i was surely to be found in the wing-hall poring over my book and grieving that i was no more allowed to go into the red room the wing-hall was a narrow one and dim connecting the main rooms of the place with the older wing built in a curious way the hall was lighted by small square-paned windows and at its end a little flight of steps led up to the red room Whenever I had been at the place before, and this was often, I had passed much of my time in the same red room. It was Mrs. Montresor's sitting-room, then, where she wrote her letters and examined household accounts, and sometimes had an old gossip into tea. The room was low-ceilinged and dim, hung with red damask, and with odd square windows high up under the eaves, and a dark wainscoting all around it. And there I loved to sit quietly on the red sofa and read my fairy tales, or to talk dreamily, "'to the swallows fluttering crazily against the tiny panes. "'When I had gone this Christmas to the place, "'I soon bethought myself of the red room, "'for I had a great love for it. "'But I had got no further than the steps "'when Mrs. Montresor came sweeping down the hall in haste "'and catching me by the arm, pulled me back as roughly "'as if it had been Bluebeard's chamber itself "'into which I was venturing. "'Then seeing my face, which I doubt not was startled enough, she seemed to repent of her haste and patted me gently on the head there there little beatrice did i frighten you child forgive an old woman's thoughtlessness but be not too ready to go where you are not bidden and never venture foot in the red room now for it belongs to your uncle hugh's wife and let me tell you she is not over fond of intruders i felt sorry over much to hear this nor could I see why my new aunt should care if I went in once in a while, as had been my habit, to talk to the swallows and misplace nothing, but Mrs. Montresor saw to it that I obeyed her, and I went no more to the red room, but busied myself with other matters. For there were great doings at the place, and much coming and going. My aunts were never idle. There was to be much festivity Christmas week and a ball on Christmas Eve. And my aunts had promised me, though not till I had wearied them of my coaxing, that i should stay up that night and see as much of the gaiety as was good for me so i did their errands and went early to bed every night without complaint though i did this the more readily for that when they thought me safely asleep they would come in and talk around my bedroom fire saying that of alicia which i should not have heard at last came the day when my uncle hugh and his wife were expected home though not until my scanty patience was well nigh wearied out and we were all assembled to meet them in the great hall, where a a ruddy fire light was gleaming. My Aunt Frances had dressed me in my best white frock and my crimson sash, and much lamenting over my skinny neck and arms, and bade me behave prettily, as became my bringing up. So I slipped in a corner, my hands and feet cold with excitement, for I think every drop of blood in my body had gone to my head, and my heart beat so hardly that it even pained me then the door opened and alicia for so i was used to hearing her called nor did i even think of her as my aunt in my own mind came in and a little in the rear my tall dark uncle she came proudly forward to the fire and stood there superbly while she loosened her cloak nor did she see me at all at first but nodded a little disdainfully it seemed to mrs montresor and my aunts who were grouped about the drawing-room door very ladylike and quiet but i neither saw nor heard aught at the time save her only for her beauty when she came forth from her crimson cloak and hood was something so wonderful that i forgot my manners and stared at her as one fascinated as indeed i was for never had i seen such loveliness and hardly dreamed it pretty woman i had seen in plenty for my aunts and my mother were counted fair but my uncle's wife was as little like to them as a sunset glow to pale moonshine or a crimson rose to white day-lilies nor can i paint her to you in words as i saw her then with the long tongues of firelight licking her white neck and wavering over the rich masses of her red-gold hair she was tall so tall that my aunts looked but insignificant beside her and they were of no mean height as became their race yet no queen could have carried herself more royally and all the passion and fire of her foreign nature burned in her splendid eyes that might have been dark or light for aught that i could ever tell but which seemed always like pools of warm flame, now tender, now fierce. Her skin was like a delicate white rose leaf, and when she spoke, I told my foolish self that never had I heard music before, nor do I ever again think to hear a voice so sweet, so liquid, as that which rippled over her ripe lips. I had often in my own mind pictured this, my first meeting with Alicia, now in one way, now in another, but never had I dreamed of her speaking to me at all so that it came to me as a great surprise when she turned and holding out her lovely hands said very graciously and this must be the little beatrice i have heard much of you come kiss me child and i went despite my aunt elizabeth's black frown for the glamour of her loveliness was upon me and i no longer wondered that my uncle hugh should have loved her very proud of her he was too yet i felt rather than saw for i was sensitive and quick of perception as old young children ever are that there was something other than pride and love in his face when he looked on her, and more in his manner than the fond lover, as it were, a sort of lurking mistrust. Nor could I think, though to me the thought seemed as treason, that she loved her husband overmuch, for she seemed half condescending and half disdainful to him, yet one thought not of this in her presence, but only remembered it when she had gone. When she went out it seemed to me that nothing was left, "'so I crept lonesomely away to the wing-hall "'and sat down by a window to dream of her, "'and she filled my thoughts so fully "'that it was no surprise "'when I raised my eyes "'and saw her coming down the hall alone, "'her bright head shining against the dark old walls. "'When she paused by me "'and asked me lightly of what I was dreaming, "'since I had such a sober face, "'I answered her truly that it was of her. "'Whereat she laughed, as one not ill-pleased, "'and said half-mockingly, "'Waste not your thoughts, so Beatrice.' but come with me child if you will for i have taken a strange fancy to your solemn eyes perchance the warmth of your young life may thaw out the ice that has frozen around my heart ever since i came among these cold montresaurs and though i understood not her meaning i went glad to see the red room once more so she made me sit down and talk to her which i did for shyness was no failing of mine and she asked me many questions and some that i thought she should not have asked but i could not answer them so twere little harm after that i spent a part of every day with her in the red room and my uncle Hugh was there often and he would kiss her and praise her loveliness not heeding my presence for i was but a child yet it ever seemed to me that she endured rather than welcomed his caresses and at times the ever-burning flame in her eyes glowed so luridly that a chill dread would creep over me and i would remember that my aunt elizabeth had said she being a bitter-tongued woman, though kind at heart, that the strange creature would bring on us all some evil fortune yet. Then would I strive to banish such thoughts and chide myself for doubting one so kind to me. When Christmas Eve drew nigh, my silly head was full of the ball day and night, but a grievous disappointment befell me, for I awakened that day very ill with a most severe cold, And though I bore me bravely, my aunt discovered it soon, when, despite my piteous pleadings, I was put to bed, where I cried bitterly and would not be comforted, for I thought I should not see the fine folk, and more than all, Alicia. But that disappointment, at least, was spared me, for at night she came into my room, knowing of my longing. She was ever indulgent to my little wishes. And when I saw her, I forgot my aching limbs and burning brow, and even the ball i was not to see for never was mortal creature so lovely as she standing there by my bed her gown was of white and there was nothing i could liken to the stuff to save moonshine falling athwart a frosted pane. and out from it swelled her gleaming breast and arms so bare that it seemed to me a shame to look upon them yet it could not be denied they were of wondrous beauty white as polished marble And all about her snowy throat and rounded arms, and in the masses of her splendid hair, were sparkling, gleaming stones with hearts of pure light, which I now know to have been diamonds, but knew not then, for never had I seen odd of their like. And I gazed at her, drinking in her beauty, until my soul was filled, as she stood like some goddess before her worshipper. And I think she read my thoughts in my face, and liked it, for she was a vain woman, and to such even the admiration of a child is sweet then she leaned down to me until her splendid eyes looked straight into my dazzled ones tell me beatrice for they say the word of a child is to be believed tell me do you think me beautiful i found my voice and told her truly that i thought her beautiful beyond my dreams of angels as indeed she was whereat she smiled as one well pleased then my uncle hugh came in and though i thought that his face darkened as he looked on the naked splendor of her breast and arms as if he liked not that the eyes of other men should gloat on it. Yet he kissed her, with all a lover's fond pride, while she looked at him half-mockingly. Then said he, Sweet, will you grant me a favor? And she answered, It may be that I will. And he said, Do not dance with that man tonight, Alicia. I mistrust him much. His voice had more of a husband's command than a lover's entreaty. She looked at him with some scorn, but when she saw his face grow black, for the Montresors brooked scant disregard of their authority, as I had good reason to know, she seemed to change and a smile came to her lips, though her eyes glowed babefully. Then she laid her arms around his neck, and though it seemed to me that she had as soon strangled him as embraced him, her voice was wondrous sweet and caressing as she murmured in his ear. He laughed and his brow cleared, though he said still sternly, do not try me too far, Alicia then they went out she a little in advance and very stately after that my aunts also came in very beautifully and modestly dressed but they seemed to me as nothing after alicia for i was caught in the snare of her beauty and the longing to see her again so grew upon me that after a time i did an undutiful and disobedient thing i had been straitly charged to stay in bed which i did not but got up and put on a gown for it was in my mind to go quietly down if by chance I might see Alicia, myself unseen. But when I reached the great hall, I heard steps approaching, and having a guilty conscience, I slipped aside into the blue parlor, and hid me behind the curtains, lest my aunt should see me. Then Alicia came in, and with her a man whom I had never seen before, yet I instantly bethought myself of a lean black snake, with a glittering and evil eye which I had seen in Mrs. Montressor's garden two summers agone, and which was like to have bitten me. John the gardener had killed it, and I verily thought that if it had a soul, it must have gotten into this man. Alicia sat down, and he beside her, and when he had put his arms about her, he kissed her face and lips. Nor did she shrink from his embrace, but even smiled and leaned nearer to him with a little smooth motion, as they talked to each other in some strange foreign tongue. I was but a child and innocent, nor knew I aught of honor and dishonor, Yet it seemed to me that no man should kiss her save only my uncle Hugh, and from that hour I mistrusted Alicia, though I understood not then what I afterwards did. And as I watched them, not thinking of playing the spy, I saw her face grow suddenly cold, and she straightened herself up and pushed away her lover's arms. Then I followed her guilty eyes to the door where stood my uncle Hugh, and all the pride and passion of the Montresor sat on his lowering brow. Yet he came forward quietly as Alicia and the snake drew apart and stood up. At first he looked not at his guilty wife, but at her lover, and smote him heavily in the face, whereat he, being a coward at heart, as are all villains, turned white and slunk from the room with a muttered oath, nor was he stayed. My uncle turned to Alicia, and very calmly and terribly he said, "'From this hour you are no longer wife of mine.' and there was that in his tone which told that his forgiveness and love should be hers more. then he motioned her out and she went like a proud queen with her glorious head erect and no shame on her brow as for me when they were gone i crept away dazed and bewildered enough and went back to my bed having seen and heard more than i had mind for as disobedient people and eavesdroppers ever do but my uncle hugh kept his word and alicia was no more wife to him save only in name yet of gossip or scandal there was none for the pride of his race kept secret his dishonour nor did he ever seem other than a courteous and respectful husband nor did mrs Montressor and my aunts though they wondered much among themselves learn aught for they dared question neither their brother nor alicia who carried herself as loftily as ever and seemed to pine for neither lover nor husband As for me, no one dreamed I knew aught of it, and I kept my own counsel as to what I had seen in the blue parlor on the night of the Christmas ball. After the new year I went home, but ere long Mrs. Montresor sent for me again, saying that the house was lonely without little Beatrice. So I went again and found all unchanged, that the place was very quiet, and Alicia went out but little from the red room of my uncle hugh i saw little save when he went and came on the business of his estate somewhat more gravely and silently than of yore or brought to me books and sweetmeats from town but every day i was with alicia in the red room where she would talk to me oftentimes wildly and strangely but always kindly and though i think mrs montressor liked our intimacy none too well she said no word and i came and went as i listed with alicia though never quite liking her strange ways and the restless fire in her eyes nor would i ever kiss her after i had seen her lips pressed by the snakes though she sometimes coaxed me and grew pettish and vexed when i would not but she guessed not of my reason march came in that year like a lion exceedingly hungry and fierce and my uncle hugh had ridden away through the storm nor thought to be back for some days in the afternoon i was sitting in the wing-hall dreaming wondrous day-dreams when alicia called me to the red room and as i went i marveled anew at her loveliness for the blood was leaping in her face and her jewels were dim before the lustre of her eyes her hand when she took mine was burning hot and her voice had a strange ring come little beatrice she said come talk to me for i know not what to do with my lone self to-day time hangs heavily in this gloomy house i do verily think this red room has an evil influence over me see if your childish prattle can drive away the ghosts that ride in these dark old corners ghosts of a ruined and shameful life nay shrink not do i talk wildly i mean not all i say my brain seems on fire little beatrice come it may be you know some grim old legend of this room it must surely have one never a place fitter for a dark deed tush never be so frightened child forget my vagaries Tell me now, and I will listen. Whereat she cast herself lightly on the satin couch and turned her lovely face on me. So I gathered up my small wits and told her that I, what I was not supposed to know, how that, generations agone a Montresor had disgraced himself and his name, and that, when he came home to his mother, she had met him in this same red room, and flung at him, taunts and reproaches, forgetting whose breast had nourished him, and he, frantic with shame and despair, turned his sword against his own heart, and so died. But his mother went mad with her remorse, and was kept a prisoner in the Red Room until her death. So lamely told I the tale, as I had heard my aunt Elizabeth tell it, when she knew not I listened or understood. Alicia heard me through and said nothing, save that it was a tale worthy of the Montresors, whereat I bridled, for I too was a Montresor, and proud of it. But she took my hand soothingly in hers, and said, Little Beatrice, if to-morrow or the next day they should tell you, those cold, proud women, that Alicia was unworthy of your love, tell me, would you believe them? And I, remembering what I had seen in the blue parlor, was silent, for I could not lie. So she flung my hand away with a bitter laugh, and picked lightly from the table a near a small dagger with a jeweled handle. It seemed to me a cruel-looking toy and i said so whereat she smiled and drew her white fingers down the thin shining blade in a fashion that made me cold such a little blow with this she said such a little blow and the heart beats no longer the weary brain rests the lips and eyes smile never again twere a short path out of all difficulties my beatrice And I, understanding her not, yet shivering, begging her to cast it aside, which she did carelessly, and putting a hand under my chin, she turned up my face to hers. Little, grave-eyed Beatrice, tell me truly, would it grieve you much if you were never again to sit here with Alicia in this same red room? And I made answer earnestly that it would, glad that I could say so much truly. Then her face grew tender, and she sighed deeply. Presently she opened a quaint inlaid box and took it from a shining gold chain of rare workmanship and exquisite design, and this she hung around my neck, nor would she suffer me to thank her, but laid her hand gently on my lips. Now go, she said, but ere you leave me, little Beatrice, grant me but one favor. It may be that I shall never ask another of you. Your people, I know, those cold Montresaurs, care little for me, but with all my faults I have been ever kind to you. So... When the morrows come, and they tell you that Alicia is as one worse than the dead, think not of me with scorn, only but grant me a little pity, for I was not always what I am now, and I might never have become so had a little child like you been always a near me, to keep me pure and innocent, and I would have you but the once lay your arms around my neck and kiss me. And I did so, wondering much at her manner, for it had in it a strange tenderness and some sort of hopeless longing, then she gently put me from the room and i sat musing by the hall window until night fell darkly and a fearsome night it was of storm and blackness and i thought how well it was that my uncle hugh had not returned in such a tempest yet ere the thought had grown cold the door opened and he strode down the hall his cloak drenched and wind twisted in one hand a whip as though he had but then sprung from his horse in the other what seemed like a crumpled letter Nor was the night blacker than his face, and he took no heed of me as I ran after him, thinking selfishly of the sweetmeats he had promised to bring me. But I thought no more of them when I got to the door of the red room. Alicia stood by the table, hooded and cloaked as for a journey, but her hood had slipped back, and her face rose from it marble white, save where her wrathful eyes burned out, with dread and guilt and hatred in their depths, while she had one arm raised as if to thrust him back. As for my uncle, he stood before her, and I saw not his face, but his voice was low and terrible, speaking words I understood not then, though long afterwards I came to know their meaning. And he cast foul scorn from her that she should have thought to fly with her lover, and swore that naught should again thwart his vengeance with other threats, wild and dreadful enough. Yet she said no word until he had done, and then she spoke, but what she said I know not, "'save that it was full of hatred and defiance "'and wild accusation, such as a madwoman might have uttered. "'And she defied him even then to stop her flight, "'though he told her to cross that threshold would mean her death, "'for he was a wronged and desperate man "'and thought nothing to save his own dishonour. "'Then she made as if to pass him, "'but he caught her by her white wrist. "'She turned on him with fury, "'and I saw her right hand reach stealthily out "'over the table behind her where lay the dagger.' Let me go, she hissed, and he said, I will not. Then she turned herself about and struck at him with the dagger, and never saw such a face as was hers at that moment. He fell heavily, yet held her even in death, so that she had to wrench herself free with a shriek that rings yet in my ears on the night when the wind wails over the rainy moors. She rushed past me unheeding and fled down the hall like a hunted creature, and I heard the heavy door clang hollowly behind her. As for me, I stood there, looking at the dead man, for I could neither move nor speak, and was like to have died of horror, and presently I knew nothing, nor did I come to my recollection for many a day, when I lay abed, sick of a fever, and more like to die than live, so that when at last I came out from the shadow of death, my uncle Hugh had been long cold in his grave, and the hue and cry for his guilty wife was well nigh over, since not had been seen or heard of her since she fled the country with her foreign lover. When I came rightly to my remembrance, they questioned me as to what I had seen and heard in the red room, and I told them as best I could, though much aggrieved to my questions, they would answer nothing save to bid me to stay still and think not of the matter. Then my mother, sorely vexed over my adventures, which in truth were but sorry ones for a child, took me home. Nor would she let me keep Alicia's chain, but made away with it. How I knew not and little cared, for the sight of it was loathsome to me. It was many years ere I went again to Montresor Place, and I never saw the Red Room more, for Mrs. Montresor had the old wing torn down, deeming its sorrowful memories dark heritage enough for the next Montresor. So, grandchild, the sad tale is ended, and you will not see the Red Room when you go next month to Montresor Place. The swallows still build under the eaves, though. I know not if you will understand their speech as I did. End of the Red Room. Recording by Annalisa Ott.